When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I feel it is a travesty for people to not understand that it is possible to have your cake and eat it too with respect to what they're doing career-wise. And if that involves a change, you can do it. Mm. So that I'll, I'll, I'm very passionate about that. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. I'm Michael Winderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. How do mid-career executives navigate transitions, radically change their career trajectories, and end up with 51% comp increases in the process? My guest today helps you do just that, and he does that by helping you better navigate power, which he believes is a critical and under-examined life and career skill. Dr. Kevin Williams is the CEO of Career Skills Invest which he founded after a wide-ranging career that spanned the U.S. Navy, Merrill Lynch, multiple startups, and most recently, LinkedIn. Educated at Morehouse, an MBA from Stanford, and a doctorate from USC, Kevin refers to himself as not gifted but driven and someone who has taken his skills at pattern recognition to better serve others. So if you think in this economy or at this stage of your career, that you can't have your cake and eat it too, listen in. Kevin, what a pleasure to have you on 97% Effective. Humbled by the intro, Michael. Pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's let's dive in and we could talk forever about your bio. And I really encourage people again to go to Career Skills Invest, the website. We'll have that in the show notes because Kevin has really done a masterful job of writing and framing his bio and his origin story. Kevin, can you share one factor story? We can find out a lot about you on the internet, but one thing that we can't find about you on the internet that would give some insight into who you are, what matters, what you do. Uh, About 15 years ago at this point, I I got the crazy idea that, you know, I'm working in investment banking and, you know, long hours. And I said, if I ever, you know, leave this industry and I've got it, a little bit more time on my hands, I would really kind of 
explore a creative outlet and surround myself with people that I would have no other business, you know, being around, you know, in kind of a traditional corporate. So I started in with the West Village producing comedy shows with stand-up comedians, that whole, that whole scene. And just the the idea that you can make strangers laugh at will. It, I mean, it's people get really intimidated about public speaking, right? It's like, you know, death and public speaking are the, the two biggest fears. So I was always fascinated, fascinated by people who could do that well. So I would say producing comedy shows on the side when I began my first consulting business, that was, that's not probably out there on the internet. <laughs> Totally interesting. And are there are there takeaways that you have from that experience? Because it sounds like you haven't dipped back into that world. <laughs> Basically, that listen, I I can I can talk, you know, uh, what it means to be a great artist with the best of them. You know, th- this idea of our, our the big aha moment I I had was you can get really good at that, but you have to treat it like you know, you go to work every day and like you're a construction worker and a construction worker goes to the job site every day and practices and hones. And so this notion that people are just born with a certain creative gift, you know, that I I thought that's the way the world worked. And everyone that I saw who is creative, you know, I just thought that was how they got in front of me. They were just born that way. Not the case. The people who are real, that you see the specials and the people that seem as if they're doing improv, that is a well-honed muscle that has been worked over in front of multiple different types of situations, different types of audiences, usually over a a long period of time. And what seems like in the moment, what seems like serendipity is is a well-honed craft as a result of getting a Mm. lot of revs under the belt. So I would say that's my, my biggest takeaway. Yeah, so honing the muscle, and I know that's a, a theme that comes through uh, a lot of the work you do um, and the coaching you do. So we will, I'm sure we're going to touch back on that topic. Let's dive into our favorite topic and one of the focuses of, of this podcast and yours as well, power. Specifically, and I love the, the wording you put around this, navigating power. And that's a very intense visual, navigating power, not always used, not always loved, but maybe you could say a few things here just straight up. What is power and why is this so important? Why is it one of your focuses? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it is tell my, my personal kind of career arc story just for a sec. So I thought that, Hey, you know, I had a bunch of mentors and they said, just get good at something and just do that. So this idea of being an expert, you know, being technically adept, technically proficient, and, you know, you, you find some company or some team, some mentor, some boss that's going to show you the ropes so you can be technically proficient and, and you really know your craft. And that, if you get, if you get that right, as a foundation in your career, the sky's the limit, and that will carry you forward throughout every chapter of your career. Turns out that's not the case. You know, what pick your metaphor, the cream doesn't always rise to the top. The people who, you know, oftentimes get promoted or get the opportunities of a lifetime weren't necessarily the most technically adept. If you're talking about engineer engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers, the best 
sellers the best. They don't always, they're not usually the ones I would say that end up getting the amazing opportunity at a higher level. And when you really unpack it and really kind of, you know, talk to a lot of, a lot of people who are around in a certain era or a certain individual that got that opportunity, you know, they, they tell you stories like, you know what, they were actually, I mean, they were good. They weren't the best, but they were good. But, you know, they had the temperament. They knew how to identify a landscape and position themselves in such a way that really played to their advantage. They, you know, oftentimes were relentless. And that speaks to something other than being technically proficient. That's a different muscle. That's a different skill. So that is, you know, when I work with people and, you know, it's they've gotten to a point in their career where, you know, they're running up against that. They're like, huh, I need to get good at this other thing because I haven't focused on it ever. And that's freaking me out. So that different set of skills, aside from just your expertise around a particular area, and you know, you work with lots of individuals. You've had a lot of success around this area. What, what, other than believing, you know, it is the the work that they perform. What other factors here really kind of prevent them from from leaning into some of these, embracing these other set of skills that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's it's a number of things. The top of mind is they've had their head down and they've been told stories their entire career that they're not X material. They need to stay in a certain lane. They need to follow rules. And that over time, you hear those stories long enough, you start to believe them and you, you don't challenge status quo. You, you accept what a brand that you've been able to develop up to a certain point in your career and that then becomes your identity. And, you know, if that identity is X, but let's say you want to change lanes or you want to be elevated within the, the X profession, you've got to do some work on challenging the, the stories you've been telling yourself and also honing muscles that may have atrophied. Maybe you never touched on them before. And that's how you would blow mm. past that. Right. So this idea of, hey, you know, I want to be the best leader in my space, the best leader you know, that I can. And, you know, to do that very well, you're going to have to, you know, be good at resetting, reskilling and seeing when people are about to make certain moves in any organization, you're dealing with human beings. And anytime you introduce human beings into the equation, right, you've got ego, you've got people that white knuckle a certain, a certain set of resources. You've got, you've got people that just honestly may have their favorites right. already picked and you're occupying a seat from their perspective. So you might have a little bit more work to do. You might have to beat your chest a little bit louder, and that may be uncomfortable for you because you haven't had to do that before in your career. So, yeah, power is very different from leadership, obviously. If you want to be the best leader, it's going to take power to do it. And power doesn't does not equate to you corrupting mm. yourself, right? To me, power is compelling mm. towards an outcome. 
you know, it, it, there are certain people that that we've been around, Michael, that say power is influence and action. Yeah. But I, I also think you I mean, you know, when something has power over you. Right. And you are compelled to do something, even in our relationships. Right. Familial, you know, husbands and wives, children, you know, friendships, you know, that there's always some type of dynamic where one person is overtly or subtly compelling the other person, depending upon, you know, what the situation is. So appreciating that, knowing how to navigate it, especially when your career is on the line. That's that for me is yeah. why I get up in the morning, because. What pains me is, you know, people that have this romantic notion of, hey, I'm just going to change the world by being good at X and I'm just going to ride up into the sunset and they end up getting stopped or blocked and they leave an in a space or an industry because they're like, oh, you know what? It was just too tough. I couldn't make the transition. I couldn't get past a stall. I plateaued. It, it, you know, it just got too complicated. So I'm going to go to Africa now and, you know, just engage in safari. Right. I mean, it's you don't. You don't yeah. have to be defeatist. You can figure this out. You have these three areas, right? Mindset, cardinal rules, skills, and muscles. And the top of mindset, you have this one that's called fight back. And it almost sounds like this piece here around, you know, not accepting of, of, of putting in that time of changing the narrative. But it, it really compelled me when I saw this fight back was the number one under mindset. Can you talk more about what, what that is? Because it sounds like this... It is number one mindset you put there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it is at the end of the day, we're animals like it or not. You know, we've got, you know, we've got the lizard brain, obviously, and we have to wrestle with and, and, and identify it and know when it's when it's occurring and when it's firing. And same thing on teams, same thing in organizations. And the more complex, the bigger the company, the bigger the organization, the more you're going to have to really appreciate that. At the end of the day, you know, people can hit the headlines and talk a good game in all hands meetings that are company wide or wide. But, you know, people respond a certain way to things they perceive as threats, fight or flight. People adhere to their identity. And if they are if they are run into something that they don't quite understand or at times they have been challenged by by some something that they see as as a threat and for whatever reason they're identifying you as as a part of that then you're going to have to fight your way you know to challenge a narrative to grow your own brand change your own brand and sometimes it can get ugly i mean we all we you know shouldn't be naive about this i mean you see this in corporate boardrooms all the time same thing in the c suite same thing at the division head level you know it's when teams blow up it's usually not because somebody diddidn't have the technical proficiency to do the job. It's because John mm. didn't get along with Karen or, oh, you know what? You know, th there has just been an internal philosophical difference on this for the longest time. The, these two individuals were the embodiment of these two camps and so-and-so won and the other person lost. I mean, it just usually works out that way. So, my lens is to be better at that. You can take yourself to the gym and you can grow in that arena. You can grow in that space. You can get more adept at seeing around corners. You can identify certain motions and certain, certain 
certain ways in which a landscape or a certain set of variables may come together under the right conditions and mean, oh, you know what? There's going to be a, someone's going to make a power grab here. And if it occurs, it's going to happen mm -hmm. in the following way. You want to be able to identify that before mm -hmm. it happens, right. obviously. And position your team and your team's resources in such a way where you guys survive. Right. And so that's the more extreme version. A lot of times this stuff happens in subtle ways. And so, I mean, just, you know, just think that when was the last time you felt like you, you, you performed well on a particular project, you might have had a certain point of view. You might've spoken up in the meeting. People responded to the points that you were making and you probably were challenged, but you responded to the challenge in a way that was compelling. And other people said, Hmm, that makes sense. Why don't we do it the following way? And it might spur an entirely new end result, but it's all because you decided to speak up, you decided to assert, and you decided to honestly be a mm. bit less agreeable, not go with the flow of the conversation. That takes courage. It takes, it takes an ability to fight. So yeah. that's what I mean by that, by you, sometimes you're going to have to literally, uh, and whatever, however it means to you, but you're going to have to fight and assert. And like many things, you can get better at this mm -hmm. through practice, through iterations. And you don't have to always be seen as someone who's taking another personality to the mat. It can, the people who are really good at this, you know, they're challenging ideas, they're mm -hmm. challenging notions, they're unpacking mm -hmm. assumptions. They're, they're doing it in such a way where if you're the average individual in that room, it's a valid point mm -hmm. that you're making. And it's and it's not being seen as a personal attack, even though the other individual may, may take it that way. But it's being seen as, hmm, we're starting, we're starting from here and we want to go over there. We've got a map. Is it the map? Is it us? Is it the compass? You know, it seems like there's mm -hmm. an opportunity for improvement here. And so they're they're really challenging you know, each mm -hmm. individual component yeah. or a certain component versus the individual. And that's the nuance. The people who are the best at this. That's a really important nuance. The people who are yeah. the, that's right. The people who are the best at this. Yeah. And we've, we've all seen it. You know, we've all seen the person in the meeting that ends up saying the exact same thing as someone else, but because they said it in a different way, they're the ones that get the credit for it. It's a, it's a similar dynamic, right? So it's, mm. it's the person that understands the nuance that usually wins. Yeah. And this, yeah, this nuance around challenging the components and, and how you say that versus the challenging the person where it could come across a very personal attack and then that's right things get get lit up. Just to pull back a minute, right? When I made the intro, you really focus on helping executives make these transitions. And what I love is when you make people make these transitions, a lot of people think, well, you know, I've got to settle or make a lateral move. But you really encourage and help people to turn those transitions internally and externally and kind of maximize it, make these huge leaps. Can you share, I mean, some of the things that people really miss or even just one thing that people miss when they're making transitions and they sell themselves short or they don't take advantage of that they should? When people start talking to recruiters, you know, it's, it's a tall order for a recruiter to say, you know what? You're a square peg. I I see you in this round hole. You don't hear you don't hear that. What you hear is, hmm, I've got these three other opportunities for you. It's basically doing the exact same thing, but at some competitors. 
And most recruiters, they, they view that as, hey, I can sell that. That's easy. They're obviously overwhelmed. And, you know, that's, that, that's what you hear. That's what people are used to talking to when they're saying, huh, what are, there, what, are the op- what are the opportunities that are out there for me? Now, to go from, you know, some lane or some function in some industry and say, huh, I actually want to make a career pivot. I want to, I want to do, maybe it's, I want to do the exact same function, be some engineer, right? Be a seller, right? Be a program manager, whatever. I want to do the exact same function, but instead of doing it in, in media or in telecom, I want to do that in technology because I'm, I'm inspired by the vision of a few companies in the technology space. They need some program managers. They need some, some engineers. They need some, some product specialists. I know I can do that. It is a harder sell for any recruiter to kind of say, you know what? You're right. I've got five things. I can slide you in there and it's going to be a match made in heaven. You don't hear that. What that requires is for someone to, to, to basically say, no, I've got a conviction about this. I can tell my story in, in a certain way where I get inspired by new challenges. I've proven myself out in a, a few different ways under different circumstances. So the prospect of doing it over here excites me. And oh, by the way, this is my plan for for applying it. And this is why I see myself as being successful. And this especially is compelling when that target company, that target you know team, whatever, when they say, you know what, we need some fresh blood. We need some different perspectives. We could use a dose of someone who's seen best practices elsewhere and can apply them here. That's a good thing, right? And this won't work for the company that says, you know what? We strongly believe in promoting from within and and our culture is one that, you know, it is, this industry has very little to learn from others and other perspectives, right? It doesn't work in those companies, okay? So if you're the person that says, hey, I'm ready for a career pivot, or I want to go, from lane A to lane B within the same industry, and you're, you're talking about changing functions, right? Going from like product or being a seller to doing something different. Well, that that's a different pitch that you have to make. And you have to obviously make that case a bit differently, but the logic is the same, okay? So it is very doable. There, there are certain approaches that you're gonna to wanna to take if people are listening to this and they're saying, huh, yeah, I wanna change things up a bit. I'm being viewed as as X. I've developed a great reputation doing what I've been doing for the past five to 10 years. But you know what? I'm ready for doing something else at a higher level even, even though that's in a slightly different lane. Well, the story that you're going to have to tell and how you go about that hunt is going to have to be very dialed in. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. It's doable. But it takes a battle plan, so to speak, to really make that sing and to be successful. Very doable. So that's that's what's heartbreaking. People get stuck in lanes and they get frustrated. They don't feel seen. They don't feel like they've been invested in and they're, they're ready for something new. They're ready for something different. And this is especially the case in a recession, in a contraction, right? You know, people are at wit's end. There's a lot of anxiety out there in the marketplace. People are looking at headlines every day that are doom and gloom and they're feeling stuck, right? And then that's when you hear about these these stories of people saying, you know what, 
I'm just going to wash my hands. If if I can't figure this out here, I'm just going to go vastly do something else. And you know that I know we'll we'll talk great resignation stuff here at some point, but I feel it is a travesty for people to not understand that it is possible to have your cake and eat it too with respect to what they're doing career-wise. And if that involves a change, you can do it. Mm. So that I'll, I'll, I'm very passionate about that. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now back to our interview. Yeah. And it sounds like a really key piece that you were talking about there is being dialed in and kind of understanding kind of who's going to be making that hiring decision, but then crafting that very compelling curated message and maybe not saying certain things about yourself, which may not be relevant to that, that vision you're trying to create. So that seems to be a huge part of what you're saying there is key to transitions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just as important as it is on what to say, right? There are certain things that you're 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 not going to lead with, obviously. So, yes, absolutely. And you alluded to this, you know, the shifting economy. I, I love this one particular TikTok. I believe you have started to hone the muscle on that medium of, of how to use it. It was a great post that went viral, and you. You talked about the great resignation, which was a period we were in, to this great reshuffle, to now we're entering what, what I heard it from you first, calling it the great reckoning, where the balance of power has, has shifted you know, back to employers. I've seen it pretty dramatic with my you know, clients who work in the tech space of you know, offers are starting to, to dry up or not come with the frequency they did before. To your point around this travesty that people can't transition, we're now it feels like in a, a position where people have less leverage, right, in terms of finding new opportunities. How does this current situation shift how we should be thinking about things or how you talk with your clients about how they should be shifting how they think about things? Yeah, yeah. Listen, that 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 post did take off. I was surprised. But, you know, the, the whole idea... And this was months ago when, when I made that. But the whole idea is, listen, I mean, you and I both know CEOs run numbers all the time. They've got internal economists, so they're making projections just like, you know, every other agency out there, every other investor. And, you know, they run scenarios. And, you know, the the where most CEOs are focused are returning value to shareholders, right? So... That means, hey, in a downturn, in a contraction, you know, they need to be nimble enough to make difficult decisions, not get emotional about it, and ensure that if top line goes down, that they've got the ability to do belt tightening, reducing expenses. A lot of that means headcount and doing so quickly enough so that the return to shareholders is is not impacted as much as some other companies in their same space because the way CEOs get paid, it's, you know, if they're public, obviously it's tied to certain metrics like ROE stock price clearly. And if they're private, you know, certainly, you know, they, they still have to prove that they have the, the, the salt, so to speak 
to make these difficult types of decisions. Okay, so that's that's first. That does not mean if you are if you are in that messy middle and you are a manager or you're a leader inside of a company. Guess what? It, it's going to feel like. Listen, I I know that the company is going to probably have to make a difficult difficult decision if the market forces them forces their hand here. That may mean that my division gets goes away if it's non-core. That may mean certain people at my level may be targeted because of how the company is thinking about the value proposition of all the directors, of all of all VPs, you know, running certain business lines, right? And when you hear these these headlines in a space that are, hey, you know, we're we're about to go into recession. Are we in one? You know, wh- wh- this is this is what certain companies are starting to do with existing offers. You know, that there is a if you've seen this enough times, and at this point, you know, this is basically my fourth re- fourth recession. I think probably yours too. You know, there's a there's an order here, right? First, it's hiring pauses, hiring free, hiring freezes, right? Then it's hey, we're assessing the structure of our, of our organization. Hey, you know, we're doing some internal shifting and so-and-so's team is now going to report into XYZ's team, right? Restructurings. And then comes the, hey, this is a difficult decision, but it's for the best of the business. We are deciding to trim 5%, 10% headcount, right? They were running those numbers back when they decided to do hiring pauses and hiring freezes. They were running scenarios. They were running numbers, Okay. All along the way, they were probably telling people at all hands, hey, as of today, there are no intentions, no plans to reduce headcount. So if you're the average Joe or Jane manager, average Joe and Jane individual contributor, you're thinking, huh, great. You know, I'm safe. Everything's okay. You know, that our leadership literally just said there are no plans. But when you've been through the ringer a few times and you've, you've seen how this plays itself out, you know that it's only a matter of time before you know a difficult decision may have to get made. Now, I'm not always doom and gloom. That can there can be opportunity in that, right? Perhaps you were you, you were the person that you you knew you were in that role too long. You had gotten a little a little comfortable. You had you you knew you needed something to jolt your system to to spur you to action. Use this as an opportunity to do that. My thing is do that in a very clinical way. Yeah, I think those nuances are very important. It almost feels, Kevin, like this bleak view of corporate life and CEOs as being, you know, maybe Marx was right. They just want to exploit. They're looking at the dollar kind of capitalist view. Is it, is it, a, is it as bleak or is that just a realistic, we need to take that into account? No, to, to be clear, CEOs have a job to do. I don't fault them for it, but like the, the and and by the way, there are some amazingly talented CEOs that really ensure that the culture in which they're building and that they are reinforcing is being brought to life in every decision that is being made through transparency, through walking through reasoning, and oh by the way, doing a healthy amount of town halls and listening tours to ensure that people have their voices heard. Okay. Now there are CEOs out there that are, that are doing some really inspiring work, and 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 I'm impressed by by how they're doing it. That is not 
the majority of CEOs, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That yeah. That is a small fraction. Okay. I, I think that there's an enormous opportunity for people who are uh, getting started in their careers, certainly those who are in mid-career right now, to really ask themselves, what type of leader do I want to be? What type of culture do I want to help instill and do, that I want to be a part of? How, what, what am I, what am I willing to do? Modeling behavior, but, but certainly investing in other people around me, my peers when I don't have to, what my, the people that work for me, the, how do I manage upwards? Meaning, Hey, listen, you know, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to go against the grain a bit on this because I'm going to advocate for a voice or a sentiment that I think needs to be heard right now. How am I going to take that calculated risk? Because we're in this new environment, you know, it jury is out on, you know, how this hybrid dynamic plays itself out by industry, by company. But what an an amazing time to be alive as well. Mm. What, What an amazing time for a future leader to say, you know what, damn it, this is what I believe in. This is how I see making the rubber meet the pavement. This is how I want to leave a legacy. And if I have anything to do with it, this is how I am going to make sure that a culture gets created and how policies get refined. What an amazing time. What an amazing opportunity to lead in certain spaces right now. That's what I see. So, so no, I'm not doom and gloom. I actually think that, listen, chaos and conflict creates opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. That's where we are. It feels like leverage is this key piece, (laughs) whichever side, right, in a negotiation or employer and employee is, is, does it a lot of stuff come down to thinking about how you build leverage? Yes. And so I think it's leverage and having an ability to understand the other, the other side's perspective, walking in the other side's, the the other side's shoes. And it's not just one side, right? You know, we live Mm -hmm. in an environment where there's multiple sides, there's multiple stakeholders, right? There's an environment inside of a team inside of a, of an organization, right? So it's not just A and B side, A and B leverage. Let's, you know, no one should be naive. It, it certainly takes an ability to show up at a table and know what you bring to that table, knowing what your value proposition even is knowing, having some confidence in what you can and can't do. And if you can't do something, being concise enough to walk through what will have to fall into place and in what order so that you can do it, right? Resources, what types of resources at what, at what time and what place mm-hmm. do you need in order? Like it's the, it's the Scotty phenomenon. Hey, you know, boss, we can, we can get over there, but the engine is only at 60%. This is what we need to get to 90%, right? So being able to kind of show up and understand what your leverage, what your position, what your value proposition is, is certainly key and critical. Now, you also need an ability to empathize and mm-hmm. understand another other perspectives, being able to walk in their shoes and being able to understand what it is they're thinking and what they're feeling. OK, so I really hope that people don't don't think that, hey, as long as I can get better at, you know, increasing my leverage, that's all I need for mm-hmm. me to be successful in a certain lane. Absolutely not. You need that and an ability to be empathetic, 
mm. to to hear, to listen, to understand thought processes, to understand feelings, and meet people where they are, mm -hmm. and then begin to problem solve and begin to to trade on currency, even right. That it, this is now we're getting into how do you influence without authority, right? How do you gain alignment? You know, across a number of different people that may start out yelling and yeah. may start out saying, you know what, this is never going to happen. We're defeated. I don't even know why we're here. <laughs> and you, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than leverage to have a positive outcome yeah. in that situation, right? It's going yeah. to take empathy. It's going to take grit. It's going to take a willingness to, to sell a growth mindset. Right. So it's much more than leverage, although leverage is a key piece. One final topic before we go into a wrap here, Kevin, I really appreciate it and have enjoyed this conversation is a, is a sensitive topic that always comes up and we want to tackle it here and treat it right. But minorities, historically marginalized groups, these are groups that have traditionally not had power. In fact, power has been used against them societally. We, we see income disparity, opportunity disparity, representation at top levels. And you work on navigating power. I look at this you know, a lot too. From your perspective, these groups, do they need to navigate power differently? We could have a whole podcast around this, but perhaps some of your thoughts or one specific strategy or consideration for those groups. Or do you think about them differently? I, I know people have very different views on this. Yeah, listen, th this th this could be an entire series of podcasts, obviously. Uh, so my thoughts, high level. Look, uh, you've got majority and you've got minority, right? Anytime someone is the only one or a part of a group that's smaller than a majority in any environment, it's a lonely feeling. It, it is, you end up, you know, having a lot, I've been the only you know, in certain environments, a lot of other people have, right? It, that you end up having this idea of, am I here because I am different? And, you know, people just said, look, we need to fill a seat with some, with someone different. Oh, look, let's get them here, right? So the idea of, you know, quotas, and that's not fun. I, I think, you know, it is, no one likes that idea, you know, whether they're uh, a minority uh, or in, in the majority, no one likes that. The, the idea that, hey, we're just going to carve some seats and we're going to fill them. OK, whether you're a woman and and you made it to the top of your industry, the top of your company and, and you got into the boardroom and then come to find out, you know, they just decided we, we need to fill a seat with a woman and, and anyone will do. You were the closest one. So there you go. Right. That's not a fun feeling for for that woman, I would imagine. Same thing with uh, an African-American, same thing with a you know, person of Asian descent, you get it. However, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that, you know, various groups, you know, various segments of society started out with different advantages. And, you know, due to structural reasons, guess what? You know, cognitive bias ends up setting in and it needs to be addressed structurally. And in order to do that, we need to change some policies. We need to change how we do business. We need to change how we check ourselves and have conversations internally. And leaders need to model certain types of behavior and certain types of language. Okay. Now, as someone who is a 
is a coach, is an advisor to people, to leaders who are in their mid-career trying to figure this thing out for themselves. For those that I work with who are women or persons of color, look, I, I think they need this skill set even more so than many others. They really need to appreciate that this is a muscle. This is something that they can figure out. There are some, some nuances that are cross-cutting that the research has proven out work. And because the tables have been, have been set a certain way for such a long time, to not identify what works and embrace it would be remiss. Now, the part where it has to be, you have to acknowledge certain nuances, it's kind of like, yes, of course, how, how this gets applied may be somewhat different for, for a woman of color than a man of color, right? Because mm -hmm. she's dealing with two dynamics versus one. Same thing when you introduce sexual orientation, right? Same thing when you, right, so you, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. And I think not meeting those topics and those individuals where they are and applying nuances. And, and same thing with, you know, working across cultures, you know, just, you know, pick your, pick your continent of choice, you know, co going through certain styles of speech and how they show up depending upon America, North America, Europe, and even, you know, obviously the Far East and Japan, you can have very different results and outcomes based upon the exact same speech pattern. So mm -hmm. of course, nuances and how this gets applied and how it shows up need to be tailored and specific. But the fundamentals, the idea that it is, there are cross-cutting muscles by being a bit more comfortable with challenging the stories that you've told yourself, being mm -hmm. a bit more comfortable with challenging certain prevailing points of view so that the team and the company can end up in a much better place. And that is a bit cross-cutting. How, how that gets pulled across and brought to life needs to be applied very specifically based upon the culture and based upon that individual. Okay. Right. Got so it. it's both. Yeah. That's how I view it. And that's. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing that principles pretty much cut across, but then these important nuances, depending on the context have to be taken into account. In the Absolutely. Of it. Okay. Yeah. We should have a separate full podcast to go into this and to talk about some of those nuances and specific strategies, but they get very, very depending on the group. You brought up this point around, you know, intersectionality, if you've got multiple things going on as well, but that is another topic. Let's, let's wrap here, Kevin, with, with two questions. And the one is, you know, you, you with your doctorate, your experience working with a lot of individuals, this podcast here, we didn't get to cover everything, but is there one important question I didn't ask and should have? And because it's probably really good, just go ahead and answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I think, you know, let's, let's just zoom out for, for a bit and, you know, are, 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 are we going to be all right? Right. Are we optimistic or pessimistic that, you know, this kind of stuff will, can be figured out, can be addressed. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to do all this for our families, for our loved ones. You know, we're trying to, to make a living. We're trying to do some good. We're trying to solve problems that are worth solving. And we're trying to have a little bit of fun while we do it. Right. That's, I think most people would want to live a life that way. And I think it's important to, to realize, Hey, over the, over the long term, these things do end up usually, you know, I, I strongly believe in the idea of what, what Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, over, over time, the universe bends towards justice. I think typically people want to get better at things. I, I think that most companies, most organizations want to be seen as doing good work, worthy work, and are generally supportive of people that are having a tough time in general. The problem is if you zoom in, you know, to, to one particular year or one particular, you know, even an individual that's having a tough time in their career, you know, it can, it, it can, it can be cloudy. And so are we going to be all right? Yes. Can, can people end up getting better at how they think about careers and navigating these choppy waters? Yes. Will we? I think so. So you're an optimist. I think I am optimistic. That's, that's, that's a key feature of mine. I I am, Mm -hmm. I am an optimist. You are an optimist and you're doing great things out there, Kevin. How do people best reach you or see your work? Where would you direct them? Yeah, I would direct people to, to LinkedIn first and foremost. So on LinkedIn, I'm Dr. Kevin Williams on LinkedIn. You can find me. Also on the web, you know, I've got a website. I think you mentioned at the outset. So it's careerskillsinvest.com. So I'm on a bunch of other socials, like you mentioned, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, but, but find me on LinkedIn and my website first and foremost. Absolute pleasure, Kevin. Dr. Kevin Williams, founder and CEO of Career Skills Invest, helping mid-career executives navigate transitions and radically change their career trajectories. You heard it from him. Check him out on LinkedIn. But definitely, I do recommend some of the TikTok posts, which are very compelling and very thought-provoking. So, Kevin, thank you also for being a, a close friend and thought partner and joining me today. Such a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me. Great discussion. Awesome. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.